Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. New year, new series. I want to start what I'm calling um, glorify God or glorifying God. But the, the main idea that I really have on my heart that I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks is your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. That's today's specific message. Your life is not your own. And so this is kind of a to, to, to launch into this series, I do have some specifics that I want to cover, a little bit of teaching in here, but I almost just kind of want to create a mindset and an expectation for us to broaden our, our awareness of God's desire to use us, right, and whatever that might be. Now, I am not at all interested in making you feel like you got to start a church or start a ministry or, or even serve in one of our teams here. You know what I'm saying? Calling can very much be you work for a, a corporate company traveling around taking care of refrigeration systems. Is that right, refrigeration? Yeah. Or, or you work at a university where, you know, you try to be a light in the darkness. Some of you got that. Or, or whatever it might be, or you're called to the political arena or whatever that might look like, you know. There are many and various callings. Not, I, I, I just remember, you know, not being raised in church, I do remember listening to preaching when I first got saved um, in the um, 90s, early 90s. And there, there was kind of this vibe that the ultimate expression of your Christianity is that you go into the ministry. Did anybody catch that? Were you raised with that? I mean, I wasn't raised with that, but I kind of picked up on it. I never really felt that sense. For me, when I saw the pastor that we ended up in this church uh, preaching, it, before I even knew what a calling was, I just remember listening to this guy preach the gospel, and it just I just knew that's what I'm going to do. I just knew it, you know. And, and I pray that confidence for you as well. But we've got multiple layers of calling. You're called to be, you're called to follow Jesus. You're called to parent your children in that direction. You're called to love one another. You know, there's, there's multiple facets of calling. But there, and there might be some specific assignments that God has for you, like a church or a ministry or uh, coming on board. I'm so excited about Kate and Tori being here and Kate jumping in that area. She's so qualified for one thing, but the heart and the experience and the knowledge, you know, it's just, you just keep watching as these guys slide out, you watch God provide because where we're going as a church, the growth that we're experiencing, you know, we're going to need that type of experience back there to structure in such a way that these kids really get uh, the message in a, in, a, in a way that's simple and structured and that they can even take home to their parents, you know. But um, I forgot where I was going. What was I talking about? Your life is not your own. We'll just circle back to that. Sounds good to me. But, but just going in, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot and, and with our kids. Our kids are 19 and 17, and, you know, we've just kind of been planting these little seeds, and they look at it, they're like, what? I'll just say something kind of out of the blue. They're like, what? 
Uh, and they, I think they said they're watching at home. They're being lazy today. But anyway, I've been talking about career, they, you know, because they're ones in college, ones headed toward college, and they're talking about what are we going to do with our lives, and we've got to make money. And, you know, so we have these conversations where for them it starts to feel like uh, life is about making money, you know, because that's just what the world does to you. So I'm talking about, talking with Sarah and I are both talking to them about, um, you know, yes, talk, think about your career, think about your future, think about your financial, you know, they know, they know to not get into debt, spend less than you make, they know to invest in their own futures, they know to, you know, sow into causes that mean something to them, hopefully supporting kingdom work. Um, so that, you know, basics, they know all that stuff, but, but the question I've been trying to get them to think about is, what kind of impact do they want to make in the earth? You know, what, what, what cause or how do they want to affect the world around them? More so than just, I got to make money, I got to make a living, and when I have kids and I got to provide for them, and, da, 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 and it seems like this endless cycle. And we all feel that. We all feel that pressure, but it's selfish. It's selfish when we're just focused on, I got to make a living, I got to provide for my family. It's noble, I appreciate it, and I, think, I wish more Christians would be serious about their finances, about planning for their futures, about investing in their children, about all that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, it does say um, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. You know, I believe we should hope and expect that and plan for that as much as we can. However, if it's just about that, we're missing a huge facet of our role in the body of Christ. Our life is not our own. It's just bigger you know, the impact that we have on the planet together, I mean, look at 12 people, right? I mean, one of them, or the 13th was God in the flesh, you know, so that does make a difference. But that small ragtag bunch of people, you know, we've heard so many sermons about that. Look at the impact that they made. After he was gone, look what they did. I saw a, a social media post that went through how each disciple died, and, and, it, sh and it talked about the areas that they focused on, it just reminded me the impact that those people made, you know, uh, because they had the spirit of the living God inside of them and they lived for a cause greater than themselves, that cause being the kingdom. And so I pray that we do live with the mindset of establishing the kingdom, but it's not just about making money and providing for yourself and for your family. Amen? So again, I want to start this year, this series for us, even for myself, I'm, which is what I'm thinking about. It's like, okay, I, I want to get myself out of the center and have him in the center. And as I'm making decisions, even about what I'm wanting to do in the, in the world, I want him to be the focus of it. It's, it's really basic Christianity one-on-one, but sometimes we don't do what we know to do. Sometimes we don't actually make a plan for the things that we know to do and we just go about our days, and next thing you know, 10 years have passed, and you're like, boy, man, I feel like I should have done this by now. Don't raise your hand. I repeat, don't raise your hand. But how many of you feel that way in some areas? Man, I should be further along now. Ah, oh, man, I just, oh, why is it taking me so long? Ugh, ugh. You know? So you know. Amen. I, I, I want that burden to be lifted off of you because it can change like that. I don't have a formula for you, right? I, I don't have a method for you, but I want to talk about this idea.
that our, that our life is not our own. You know, we're, we're, we're meant for something greater than we can accomplish on our own. We're meant to accomplish with God the things that He would lead us to do in this earth and then with the body of Christ as well. You know, so as I'm moving forward, my path is pretty clear. I pray that your path becomes more clear for you as well and your path may be crystal clear for you. And so my path is more about optimizing and becoming efficient and more effective in the things that I know to do. And, but that still requires planning and decision-making and, you know, just doing it. Do it! Sorry. All right. So I have a few passages because this will be the context of what we talk about over the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians 19, uh, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know? Now, he is talking about physical acts of sin, sexual immorality, drunkenness, all this kind of stuff. But this principle applies on a greater picture than just physical behavior. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I mean, look, look at your body. Look at your arm or poke yourself in the nose. You are God's. You belong to God. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to God. And here's what's interesting. You're not a slave to Him but he does, con he does contextualize your relationship in that you are a slave to righteousness. Righteousness is a right standing in him and before him that really is, is cloaked in freedom. You know, so it's kind of paradoxical. I, I, I think a lot of us have been made to believe that when you hear things like your life is not your own, that you owe it to God to do something for him. You ever felt that way? Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. Well, I guess I don't get to have any more fun then. I mean, think about it, right? Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. Man, God is watching. You know, he's like, every decision I make, I have to be aware of God. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Oh, my God, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to serve him. What am I? I'm not, did I serve him today? Did I do a good enough job today? You know, honestly, when you know your identity in Him and you know the freedom that His blood purchased for you, you just break free from a lot of... I see, I see the process. People become aware of the finished work concept and, and begin to really understand atonement, really understand their new creation identity, really understand the freedom, and they, they get a little too free. Stop coming to church, stop giving, stop reading their Bible... Stop, you know, all the Christian activity that they were doing before. And I see that as a good thing for a little while because you're just realizing, oh, why was I doing all that stuff? You know, I was just doing it for because I felt like I had to. Or I was doing it to keep God happy. I was trying to please Him or I was trying to keep the devourer rebuked or whatever, you know. But, but then, then you realize, oh, no, nah, well, I do, I do enjoy relationship with Him. So let me redeem prayer. Let me redeem tithing and giving. Let me redeem 
going to church and enjoying fellowship. And let me redeem serving. And, and the, so you settle back into a mature, responsible Christian expression. And you do get to a point where you realize, yeah, man, it's not about me. My life is not my own. So th this phrase is something that I just want us to think about over the next several weeks. Uh, meditate, meditate on it. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now, here's what I know will happen. If you do, if you just sit and think about this, and you just, like we did this morning, you just become aware of the presence of God in you, you're not necessarily trying to get information from Him, but you're just acknowledging that He bought you. He paid for you. How, how did He do that? Look at here. This is Acts 20, 28. Uh, there's some instruction here, but there's a, the, the concept is in this. Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. That's the price that was paid, the blood of Christ. We know that. So this idea here... Um, don't you know that the Spirit of God lives inside? You know, so like when you're worrying and you're praying about your kids, and you're praying about your spouse, you're praying about your finances, you're praying about your future, you're praying about that job, don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? I want you to ask that question. Get sarcastic with yourself if you need to. What are you worrying about? Don't you know God lives in you? Get over yourself. You're not that important. You're not that special. That it's not going to work for you. Don't you know? Don't you know? God is in you. And then, and then all of the stuff that we talk about who God is then actuates. In other words, don't you know that God, God who is good, God who loves you, God who has good plans for you, God who gave to have you, God who leads you and guides you in all, God who's made all these great and precious promises so that you be a partaker of His divine nature, God who wants you, right? So when you say, what am I thinking? God is in me. Who do you think God is? And that's one of the greatest callings of this church is to change the way we see God. That's what I want to do. Sometimes it takes dragging people, kicking and screaming, holding on to their view that God is, might give them cancer to teach them a lesson or take their job away in a confusing circumstance. Don't you know that God lives in you? So that passage and this passage are the two things uh, that the two areas that I just want to think about. Again, this is a little bit of a broad overview today. And we'll drill down over the next few weeks. Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Amen. Now, I get it. In a lot of places, in a lot of your pasts, uh, these concepts were brought up in terms of obligation rather than the fruit of relationship. Like, you should adopt that mindset 
about your life philosophy that you are not your own, that you just you want to serve God because of you value the freedom that you've been given in Him. Not because you're a subservient worm to Him and you got to perform to keep Him happy. And, you know, I say these things and we say these things every week and we talk about it all the time, and most of you know this, whether it's true for you yet or not, you know it at least intellectually, but I'm just telling you, don't just listen for yourself. There are people in your life that God will lead you to communicate to them these concepts. Understanding, changing the way that people see God. So when you get people, oh, I, you know, church just doesn't work for me anymore. Well, that, you know, it's fine. I'm not trying to get you to come to church. But I do want you to experience a, a affirming, loving, supportive community of people because you need that. I do want you to experience the fruit of the Word. I do want you to experience reading the Word of God and it moving you and it inspiring you to change your life. In fact, recognizing that it in and of itself has the capacity to transform you and change your life. Amen. You know, so it's like uh, you, 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 you eat of the Word, you put it in there because you love what it's going to do in your life. Not because you think God's going to be mad if you don't. That's how people see God. They just do. I forget that, but they do. So those two passages we're going to talk about, um, this meditation, make it the meditation of your heart. You are not your... So, all right, so just, just to ask the question here, because it does say, uh, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. That should lead to something. What does that lead to? That leads to this instruction. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Right? Okay, so the question, don't you know God lives in you? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore... Glorify God. Okay, well, how do I do that? Anybody wonder, how do I glorify God? Because he says, how do you, as he says, glorify him in your body and your spirit. So let's just look at these definitions here. Glorify is doxadzo, uh, which means praise, celebrate, honor, but it also means to think, suppose, or be of opinion. We'll put that together. The root word for glorify is obviously the word glory, which is the word doxa. And it does mean splendor, brightness, glorious condition, exalted state. Remember, you remember when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain and uh, they looked at him and he was glowing and his clothes were changed and there's Moses and um, Elijah with him, Right? And they're looking at him, and it's like, oh, man, we need to build a church here. Revelation. Experience the presence of God. Let's camp out, right? Uh, so it does mean that. That was a glorious sight. But what's most interesting is that more, than, more often than not, the first definition is what's applied when it talks about the glory of God. And the first definition is opinion, judgment, view. So to boil it down, the glory of God is God's view and opinion. So, in other words, the way that God sees it is how it is. And now you think of it in this way. The way that God sees it 
when how he sees it becomes manifest or established, the result is it's glorious. Are you with me? Right? So God created everything, and he looked at the earth, and he said, it's good. That's glorious. He looks at you, and he says, you are my child. That is glorious because that is a stated fact of how God sees, right? He looks at the future and he says, what I'm working toward is the restoration of all things. And when all that transpires, when it all wraps up, and when I get it back to how I want it to be, that is glorious. So then we have to ask, what is God's view? What is God's opinion? What does God want? How do you know what he wants? Well, you can look in the Word and you can look at Jesus. I think those are the two places we know. Look to His Word and look to Jesus. Now, again, a lot of people look to His Word and look to Jesus and they see legalism and obligation and, you know, if you don't have the right works, maybe you're not saved. Man, I, I keep hearing this over and over and over again, this concept that you're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, yeah, but where do works come into that? Well, that should be a fruit but it does not come into whether or not you're saved. Some of y'all were raised in an environment and still have the mindset that if you don't have the proper associated works, that is the evidence that you're not born again. That's like what most of the New Testament was written to refute, to affirm salvation by grace through faith because of the blood of Christ alone. And there are people that will... No, let me, I'm just not going to go there. Let's keep going. Um, <clears throat> Romans 4, 18. Against, so I missed, the, I missed the point here. There are some specific areas when you think about glorifying God. It's in worship, growing in faith, serving, suffering, inheriting His promises. So ultimately, what we're thinking about as we launch into this new year as I'm bringing these messages, when I'm putting myself on a personal journey and the discipleship things that we're going to do together here and social media and through our emails and just all the different ways that we connect, I just want you to be thinking about, I was bought with a price. My life is not my own. I'm part of something bigger than I can accomplish myself. And as I let God move through me, I don't know what it looks like. And I'm not, again, I'm not giving you seven steps to glorify God here. I'm, I'm trusting that you're adults because you are and you're going to go and you're going to connect with God and you're going to let him speak to you. But I suggest that we start this year off with the concept, yeah, I, I don't belong to myself. Man, I've been pretty selfish. I've just been thinking about myself. Maybe you haven't, but probably you have in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of pain and suffering and, and, and uh, worry comes from selfishness. It comes from us being so focused on ourselves, even trying to hear the voice of God for ourselves. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're just feeling like you're just trying really hard to get God to tell you what you're supposed to do, well, first off, I wrote a book about that. If you don't, if you don't have it and you don't want to buy it, I'll give it to you. But So get into that idea. It's all about who do you love. But then let's just start. Let's just start with the idea yeah, I'm part of something bigger, so I'm just going to set my awareness. Here's what I know. If you'll do that, you're going to hear God, and it'll be clear, and then you take those steps out of your relationship with Him. 
not some sermon that you heard. Then it's your own, right? Then it's your own process. Against, so this is one example of how we can glorify God. I do want to give you some concrete points of what it looks like to glorify God as an inspiration for you. And you take these and you make them your own and you think about, yeah, glorifying God. God, you glorifying yourself through me. So let's look at this. So one of them, one of the areas is being stronger in, your, in faith. I'm not talking, not talking about getting more faith. Ultimately, becoming stronger in faith means you become more competent in who God is. Weak faith or little faith versus great faith is, I'm not really sure that that's who God is. Great faith is, I have no doubt that's who God is and what he said. So this is Abraham is an example here, Romans 4.18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as he had been told by God so shall your offspring be. Now, again, you want to glorify God? Trust what he said in his word and to you. You want to glorify God? Trust God keeps his promises. So, so then that starts a whole new track. What are his promises? Which ones are for me? Here's a hint. All of them. I got one smile on that. Am I being too serious? Okay, okay. Without weakening in his faith, talking about Abraham, he acknowledged the decrepitness of his body. <laughs> oh, I just love this, you know. I mean, it's like uh, since he was about 100 years old and the lifelessness of Sarah's womb. Yet he did not waver through disbelief in the promise of God. You ever looked in the mirror? You ever looked at your past? You looked at your state? Decrepit, I don't know. <laughs> Yet he did not waver through disbelief in the promise of God, but was strengthened in his... How was he strengthened in his faith? Without weakening in his faith. He had not... Uh, he believed and so became the father... Of, he believed. There's another facet where he goes into a, a deeper description of it. But he considered not his circumstances his own body, he remembered what God said. That's how he grew in faith. He trusted in what God promised. Now, here's another one. Um, 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. You mean I can glorify God through suffering? Well, God can be glorified through your suffering, yes. But it raises a big question, what kind of suffering? Now listen, I've probably studied this subject second most in Scripture right behind uh, the atonement, what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm not saying I'm the authority, but man, there is a lot that can be said about suffering. And here's what it all boils down to. The only kind of, God, the only kind of suffering that God is involved with is persecution for the faith. Are you with me? The only kind of suffering that God might lead you in to, down a life path that you might experience suffering is for the sake of the gospel, for Christ's sake, and you might experience, experience the persecution of your faith, even to the loss of life. If you find yourself in a situation where you are suffering because you have 
treaded into an area where you're bringing the gospel and you experience capture and torture and, and death even. God is involved in that. He might even lead you into a situation knowing that that's what's going to happen to you. But you cannot find anywhere in Scripture God's going to lead you into a job that brings suffering to your life to teach you lessons. You can't find anywhere in Scripture that God's going to let you remain sick to suffer to teach you lessons. You can't find anywhere in Scripture where God's going to cause suffering to your loved ones to teach you a lesson. It's just not in there. I've, I challenge you to find it if, the, if you have trouble with that. I know most of y'all don't, and you know our online crew is growing, and, and people, I get these messages. So if you're watching this and you challenge that, I, I, or you have an issue with that, I challenge you, do the research. Look up every facet where suffering is mentioned and see. It only has to do with suffering for the persecution of your faith. So if you, um, I'll just read the whole thing, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, and on their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And then it goes on to say, actually, don't suffer for things in this world. Suffer for Christ's sake. So one, another area. Now, we're not all excited about that one, but don't shy away from it either. 2 Corinthians 1.20, again, how can you glorify God? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know what that's saying? God is glorified when you experience His promises. The way you experience those promises is you get into agreement with it. That's what the amen means. He made these promises. I speak the amen. In other words, I take that poten unlimited potential of a promise and I believe it unto manifestation. That's the amen and God is glorified. God is glorified when you experience His promises. What are His promises? He will provide for you. God richly blesses you. He's glorified. God heals you. You experience healing. He's glorified. You have peace in a situation you shouldn't have peace. He's glorified. People look at you and they're like, oh, I see the effects of God there. Okay, okay. Do you see that? God is glorified when you experience His promises. So believe, trust, don't back down on any of them. And then finally, where we're going to talk, I think mostly in this series, 1 Peter 4.10, as each one of us has received a gift or grace or capacity, uh, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. All of this is talking about grace. Like this is grace in function, in, in, in effect, grace. Starts with the same word, gift, grace. Uh, the manifold grace. And then uh, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That is what grace is, ability which God supplies. Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is not just, <laughs> you dummy, but I'm going to forgive you. That's not grace. That's mercy. 
when you're a dummy and He forgives you. But grace is this, His ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what's this glory associated with? You using your gift, your gifts, letting Him work through you to serve. That's specifically what it says, uh, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So that, that's where I want to go with this series is talking about, all right, my life is not my own. I'm part of a bigger picture of what God is trying to accomplish in this earth, which does not include disease, sickness, depression, calamity, loss, uh, lack. Thank you. That was God right there because that's the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> But it does include all of the attributes of the character of God being manifest in your life to be put on display that He received glory. I mean, what do you really think what God, God wants for you? It's pretty clear. He wants for us what Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God created it perfectly in the beginning. He's going to restore it back to perfection. In the middle, he came here as a human and showed us what life looks like, what life can look like for a human. That is pretty much untouched by the darkness of the world and restoring people back to health, delivering them from condemnation, establishing this concept of the kingdom is in you that's greater than this fallen world around you, which, by the way, is restoring this world. That's what God wants. That's who God is. So to boil it all down to a very simple nutshell that, and I've just, I feel like I've been talking about it for a few months now, but what, what is God, what is ultimately what's God trying to do? He's trying to bless a people to the point that they can be a blessing to the other people. I thought that was funny for some reason, but I didn't mean to say it that way. All the way back to the beginning with Abraham. That's what God wanted to do. I'm gonna, I want a holy nation. I want a people of kings and priests that I can bless so richly, that follow me so closely. And I'm going to have to change them. I'm going to have to change what they are. I've got to give them a new heart, put my spirit in them. But when that happens from then on, then what I really want that I was trying to do through Abraham from the beginning is that these people will represent me. These people will go about and talk about my kingdom and display what my kingdom is like. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom. That's what we do. We go out and we represent that. That's your plan. That's your goal. That's your focus. The specifics are between you and God. And if you want to sit down and have a conversation, I'll be more than happy to sit down. I'm not going to tell you what God's telling you to do, but I'll help you think it through and create a plan. But your life is not your own. So let's just think about that as we close out here. Just meditate on that for just a moment. In fact, if you would, just stand up with me. And just think about this. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. Now, I get it. Uh, you, it may be more conducive for you to do this at home or wherever your favorite place of prayer is. But I, I encourage you, take this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and look at it and just think about it. And let God give you a picture of what this means to Him. Right? Let God expand the understanding of what this is. I, I, I'm not going to try to tell you what it's supposed to look like. He's the Holy Spirit. He'll do that. 
but, but engage him, you know? I don't, I don't want to jump into another year of just the same old, same old. I don't want to jump into another year and we just go to church and we get built up, but we stay where we are. This time next year, I want you to look back and say, man, it's pretty amazing what God did through me. Little old me. When I finally got myself out of the way and just let him move. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the plan of salvation. In Christ, we thank you that you so value us that you came here as us to set it right so we could be with you. Father, we don't want to limit what you want to do in our lives. I can't accomplish what you want in my life, but with you, all things are possible. I want to do life with you, not for you, but with you. We give our lives to you. We commit to you daily to set our attention on you, to become aware of you, and to be led by you. And the work that I do in my faith is to just become more confident in who you are, what your promises are, and the fact that you will keep those promises, not for me, but to bring glory to your own name so that through me you can bless other people. Jesus, we praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name, Jesus. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. Now, if you're giving to this church, whether you be online or local, if you guys want to go ahead and play the end one that we can see, how to give is up there. Um, you know, we don't really teach tithing in the sense that it's an obligation. You're free. Say, I'm free. I'm free. I don't have to give. Some of you are like, where's the lightning bolt? <laughs> However, when you do discover the power of generosity in your life, it just it teaches your heart how to trust Him. You know. So let me just pray for you. If you're giving today, uh, actual physical, m- most people give online these days, and I don't want to shortcut that process to invest our hearts in what we're doing. So if you give online, just use this as a moment to recognize, Father, I sow out of what you have provided to me. I thank you for that seed. I thank you for that provision. And as just a sign of gratitude and as as an investment into your kingdom and into this church and into this message, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to give. I give you my heart. I want to be even more generous. I want to give, I want to give, I want to live in such a way where I can give 90% of my income and live on 10%. Father, just, just wreck all of my limitations so that I let you flow freely through me to the point where there's no lack in any of the areas that I want to sow into. Father, we trust you. We thank you that you are our provider, and we use our money to leverage, our, to position our hearts to trust you and to sow into this message. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give. I speak abundance over every person in this place. Father, we thank you that you desire to provide for us exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Father, not for us, but because it's for a bigger picture. Not for our own needs, although our needs are met along the way. You You do desire to bless us. You do desire to bless me, but it's for a bigger purpose. 
that us collectively experiencing your abundant blessing would bring glory to your name. So people would look and say, I don't know that I believe everything they got going on over there, but I, but I see what's happening. Their God is powerful. Father, may your name be known through us just collecting and loving on each other and trusting you and turning that love toward the world. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.